Join Ian Garnick as we uncover the hidden marketing stories that shape our world. Reveal the latest marketing tactics that will shape your future and the amazing people that grow organizations, movements, and businesses. Learn to grow your business and shape the world around you. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show with Ian Garlic. And yes, it's Ian, not Ian. That's marketing too. All right. So on this Garlic Marketing Show, I've got Phil Marchand. He's publishing a new book. He is the director of experience for Social Media Marketing World. And this is going to be an incredible episode. Phil, say hi. Hello, everyone. And we're going to talk about the most important way to build connection before the event, the questions you need to ask about your events to get attendees to come in, why they created an anti-social room, connecting people before the event, and how to use Zoom, how they create the bread of the events ahead of time, activating clients to become your super fans, and how to make your event like a great summer camp, as well as evolving the audience and creating micro-communities, and the two biggest mistakes you make in your event. This is a super powerful show for anyone doing events, but I think anyone needs to be doing events. And of course, this is brought to you by videocastory.com. And one of the best things you can do to improve your event, we'll talk about, is to get to know your customer stories. Go to testimonialbook.com to learn how to collect and craft those customer stories. So the book, Experiences, I want to talk a little bit about that in a second. And you can go to Amazon. We'll put a link in there. Unforgettable, the art and science of creating memorable experiences. I would go buy it. I think Anyone that wants to do anything where they're building up a community needs to know this stuff. And it's we've defaulted to social media, but I want to talk a little bit about how you came up with the idea of it and then get into the major points of it. Because obviously you know a lot about social media and you've been running big conferences for a long time. Why was now the time? How did you come up with this and why now? So... How I came up with it was, like I said, in 2017, I was at a conference that summer where it was a well-designed event for event planners and event marketers. And during it, I had this aha moment. I said, you know what? That What people want when they go to an event is to have this feeling like time is stretching so that you can focus on things that really matter. And I said, that's what I want to figure out how to do. And I'm going to write a book about that. When I went to Michael and Amy's event later that year and met you and a few other people, I started to realize by then that that's not really possible. Like that sense of time stretching is something that happens as a result of a lot of other things. And it's mostly serendipitous and something we don't control. So I've, I decided, you know what, that's not the book. I want to talk about that because I think it's an ideal so I then began this process of figuring out, well, what are the things that need to be in place to make the conditions for serendipity, for creating the conditions where people are able to enter into this state of focus, or as some people call it flow, flow is a little bit different because that's a kind of focus that is more for productivity than it is for what happens at an event experience, but it's related and so getting into this state of focus, the state of being present and not being distracted by the thousand things that might distract you, including social media, most of us on social media are constantly being distracted and unable to enter into deep focused conversations because there's the next one, or there's that thing that just went across, or there's the 47 tabs that you've got open. And so the, the, all the different things that are calling for your attention prevent us from being able to enter into these deep places of thought. And so I wanted to 
to teach people the things that I was learning myself. How do we create these places that are memorable and these places that are impactful? And so that's what the book's about. Why now is an interesting question because I started working on it in 2017. In 2018, I was on this mission to self-publish. And then in 2019, I talked to a few friends who said, you know, Phil, this book's a big deal. You had to go with a publisher. So I, I wrote up the book proposal and I pitched it and I decided to go with Morgan James, which is a hybrid publisher. We came under contract and had a goal of having it finished by June of 2020. Well, if you do the math, you know what happened in March of 2020. <laughs> yeah. And so I, the first quarter, I wasn't planning on working on it because our conference was in early March that year, literally four days before the world shut down in the United States. And so I wasn't planning on working on it for the first quarter, but did intend to pick it back up in late March and finish it by June. Well, I had no interest in writing a book about in-person events. The publisher said, no, we have no interest in publishing a book about in-person events. You can just put it on the shelf for a while and we'll pick it back up when the world's interested again. So it was about 18 months later, I came back to them and said, I think I'm ready to start writing it again. They said, okay, good. And so, you know, in late 21 through summer of 22, I was writing and then starting the editing process and it takes a while. Uh, with the publisher to go from finished manuscript to the point of they're ready to put it on the shelf. And when you're working with a the publisher, they want to time it to line up with post Labor Day. So summertime is a, is not a good time with traditional publishers to put books on a shelf in a bookstore. So we went for the first day possible after Labor Day, and that was September 5th. Nice. And I think timing-wise, it's interesting what caused it to stop. But also what caused it to stop, I think, is making it more relevant because I feel events are so much more important than they have been in a long time. Would you agree? I think we have focused on them and understand the power of events more than ever. Like in the pandemic, it certainly caused all of us to crave relationships. But because of what happened with inflation and the economy, we're more careful where we're spending our dollars when we travel to an event. So we want to go to the right ones and we're looking for experiences, I think more than ever. And so it's really kind of fascinating. I wrote, started writing this book six years ago and before experience design was like the buzzword in event planning. But now this year, there's all of these people talking about it and there's groups that are focused on it. Google's got a whole initiative focused on experience design Experiences design has been around a long time in other fields, you know, like user experience for computer programmers or, you know, interior design. Like there's a lot of other spaces, but as far as events go, it's a newer idea. And so it's really fascinating to be part of a, a tidal wave of interest in this topic. And when you say experience design, explain to me a little bit of more about what you mean. How, what's the, it makes sense, but what all goes into experience design? One way to think about it is the way that a video game programmer designs a video game. So when they're designing the game, they're laying out what are the sequence of things that we want people to do? What are the choices that we want to give people at each place, at each level of the game? So you come to the first encounter and there's usually two or three options. Do you want to go left, right, or straight ahead, right? And you're creating this hyper-personalized experience for people. You're paying attention 
you know, back, bring it into an event space, you're paying attention to how they feel at this moment. Are they feeling anxious? Are they feeling excited? Are they feeling nervous? What are they feeling and how can we help to either change that emotion if they're feeling anxious, nervous, sad, you know, scared, whatever, or intensify the feelings of excitement and happiness and whatever positive emotions they're having. You're looking at the emotional journey that they're having. You're looking at the cognitive journey that they're having. Like, what are they here to learn? How can we set them up for that learning? What are the conditions they need? You know, looking at things like AV, looking at colors, looking at aromas, looking at temperatures, looking at room design, all those kinds of things that go into the experience that somebody's having. You're looking at the relational design of the event. How do we help somebody make friends so that they feel like they belong? Like that sense of belonging is super important for people. And when you travel going to an event and it's likely full of a lot of strangers, you want people to move from strangers to feeling like they're, they're among their people as quickly as you can. And so you have to look at how do you orchestrate relationships? How do you orchestrate settings so that people of all different networking types feel comfortable with one another. Cause if you've got Europeans that are much more reserved in their style of networking versus, you know, salespeople in America are probably some of the most can be some of the most brash people in terms of certainly they're, they're, they're eager to meet you. And they're also quick to move on if they don't think you're the right person. And that can be very offensive in certain settings and in other settings is like, Oh, that's what we all expect. You know, if we're not a good fit. Okay, cool. Move on. So how do you, how do you do that relationally so that people have this sense of connection and, you know, and so all those things you're looking at music, music's a big deal to me. So not just cause I'm a musician, but it, it helps people feel like you understand them. Like if, you know, I saw a post today of a friend who went to, for her first time to a silent disco. And she said, I finally found my place because I can listen to my jams and I can listen to the stuff that I want to and I can dance and no one knows what I'm dancing to. So they don't know if I'm getting the moves right or wrong. I think people are so used to that with our, you know, our smartphones. We listen to our own curated playlists. But if I can figure out music that's going to connect you, Ian, and the Sally who's there and the Mary who's there, and find music that's in common that's going to make all of you feel like, okay, they get us. You know, this playlist or this live band is playing music that resonates with us. I, I remember those happy times in my life, and this music is making me feel happy and nostalgic right now. And then when it comes time to help you feel reflective, there's a different kind of music that's helping you enter into a deeper state of focus because it's helping you relax. And then when it's time to get you hyped up and say, Hey man, it's time to go change the world, Ian. Then I've got, you know, the change the world music playlist that's coming on. That's helping you get hyped up, hyped up. So we're thinking about all these kinds of things as we design it, not just the content, the content is critical, obviously. And that's something that is basically a given. It's not a given that the content presenters are great at what they do. That's a whole different thing, like coaching people and helping make sure, especially in an age where people have short attention spans, they've got to be able to deliver in a way that keeps people engaged. Lots of stories, lots of movement, whatnot. But beyond that, assuming that's being done well, which you know often isn't the job of the experience designer, that's somebody else who decided that stuff. I'm trying to design the rest of the experience. This morning, I was meeting with one of our team members. This will be a good example for you. We were taking one section of the event. What does it look like when people arrive? 
And we were take, breaking that down into the different steps of what does it mean to arrive when they get to the door, when they get to the escalator, when they're on the escalator, which is a lengthy ride. It takes you about a minute to ride from top to bottom or from bottom to top. When they get to the top, when they get to our registration desk, when they get to our sponsor area, all these different things. It's a large building, so it's not like it's just a you know a fifty yard journey. We're talking about you know almost a quarter of a mile from the the sidewalk to you know their first session. Then what's happening at each place? And we're we're looking at all the things we could do and deciding what do we do and what's going to make a continuous experience that's going to connect with a lot of bit different people in a lot of different ways. And so. As an experienced designer, that's the kind of stuff I'm thinking about. It's interesting because I, I would assume, especially like you look at most corporations, they're thinking a little bit about experience design, but they're thinking of it as separate from the content, aren't they? Like, I, yeah, I think so. And it's, it's easy, especially in larger companies to do that. You know, I, I'm in a unique place where I actually do get to think about both. I coach our new speakers I'm thinking about this, that along with all these other design elements, because it's all interconnected. It's got to be looked at integratively, holistically, or you're going to have a, a disjointed experience. Yeah. And someone's spending a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars to go to a conference and, and travel time and taking the time you, you having a five-star experience, it seems like it should be a given but i've been to so many events that you spend that much money and they're like everything's it's everything is third class to the content and they have great speakers but everything else isn't thought about it but really for me when i go to a conference like you're saying it's like the people you meet in the community because now all the content's really available anywhere anyways isn't it it can be hopefully they're designing unique content for your event but you know if they're a well-known speaker um, I, again, I was looking at a post, uh, the same speaker is silent disco. She has like five main talks and they're pretty much the same wherever she goes. So if you've seen her somewhere else, you've probably heard what she's going to say and maybe not too tailored and great speakers can do that. And they might throw in a few stories to make it a little bit more adaptive, but their points are the same. A really great speaker will be able to come up with something brand new and fresh, for your audience, but they're the breadth of their experience has to enable them to do that, but they're still going to be limited. Most of us, I think Guy Kawasaki said this, as he said, most of us only have about 10 or 12 talks in us. And then it's just repackaging. Gotcha. So, you know, so there's only so many things we can talk about with a depth of intelligence, but Th that the people who are responsible for that need to be working with the experienced designers so that you getting the connections will, will take place because you came, you came for unique experiences. You came for unique knowledge. You could have maybe heard that speaker online. You can't go talk to that speaker face to face online. You can't have the conversations with fellow people in the market as easily once it's over and say, man, what does that mean for our industry? What does that mean for my business? And then you're into this long conversation over beers or whatever, talking about how this relates to the challenges that you're facing in your business right now. And you're able to do it in a relaxed setting and talk about things that you never get a chance to do back home because you've got the next task to, to check off or someone's asking you for this report or you know get this done or whatever it might be. 
And I think we've talked at a really high level, but you've done this, right? You're not someone who's, oh, let me write a book on it because I have some ideas. You've done this for quite a while. What, as you've gotten more intentional about this experience design, what are the results and the impacts that you've seen to the events and to the talk about the events during and afterwards? I think, you know, what I've seen are people who notice that we've paid attention to details. So one of the stories I tell in the book is about Marlene. She's from Denmark. She came to the event in 2016 and, you know, she came to our, our information desk and said, I've got a problem. I need a drugstore. Can you point me to the closest one? And they said, well, what do you need? And she said, well, I forgot my toothbrush. And one of the staff members got her up, walked her down the hall and said, in the ladies room here, there's a basket. And in the basket, we've got toothbrushes, toothpaste, dental floss, mouthwash, take whatever you need. It's here for you. And she's blown away. She's like, man, if they thought about that detail, then I'm buying my ticket for next year. And not only that, I'm going to tell all my friends about it. Well, that's 2016. She's been back pretty much every year. She's invited multiple friends who keep coming with her. There's an ROI on that $3 set of toothbrush and toothpaste that's in the, you know, well into the five figures. I don't know exactly how much because I haven't ever done the, the math. But here's, here's what, what, what led to that toothbrush even being in the bathroom because we're not a hotel. You know, we're doing this at a convention center. But intentional design led us to a series of conversations where we said, you know, we're moving from a hotel into a convention center where people are going to be staying in several different hotels. And what are the things that could go wrong? What are the things that could cause someone to leave and never come back? Because once you leave, the, the, the energy it takes to decide to come back you know, requires more. The first time you show up, you're excited. The second time you come back, there needs to be something that's drawing you back. So we said, let's, if we can, let's keep them there. So there were three things. And we said, one is they might want to leave to get some work done in a quiet place. So we said, oh, that's easy. Let's create some places around the building where there's Wi-Fi, there's power, and there's tables where they can get some work done. Check, done. Second was they might go back to their room because they want to take a quick nap, get a power nap in. And you're usually working the, the, you know, the clock on both ends when you're going to conferences. So grabbing 20 minutes in the middle of the day is nothing to be ashamed of. Well, we said, hey, let's create a quiet room where if they need to go kick their feet up for 20 minutes, no one's allowed to talk. I'm now figurative, or I'm now jokingly calling it the antisocial room. But, you know, those were easy. But the third was someone going back for their toothbrush. And so Marlene discovered that answer, but it was all because we asked the question, why might someone leave and how can we keep them there so that they can get the most out of the event that they already paid for? Because to your point, they paid, you know, in her case, probably four or $5,000 coming from Europe. And so yeah, we want to make sure she's getting the return on her investment. So we try to anticipate those problems and wherever we can, we solve them in a way that's cost effective and the customers appreciate it. They notice those little, it's usually the little things that they notice. It's not the big things. They, they like big LED walls that cost tens of thousands of dollars. That's cool, but that's not what gets them to come back. It's the relationships. It's that you notice little things that they care about. It's the guy who, you know, I offered him a free lunch because he was having a bad experience and he remembered that and reached out to me just this last week. 
because he remembered the connection we had because I solved his problem and I tried to make it better. Uh, and that's amazing because I really feel that if you're going to be any type of leader right now in any type of market, you need to be thinking about events. Like the businesses, like whatever your marketing is, in some way, shape, or form, you need an event because social media, it, you guys know a bit about social media, but it's it's been the end all be all for so long now that there's this want, but also there's that want for connection. And to do that is amazing. So how do you use experience design and what you're talking about in this book to really build those connections intentionally? What are some of the tactics that you see? It starts before people ever show up. So your relationship with the customer begins on your sales page, but it really begins when they push pay. So what happens after they push purchase buy whatever the button says, that's when your relationship starts. And ideally you're beginning a relationship with them, even in that moment. Now, reality is if you're buying nine months before an event, that person doesn't have an expectation of a relationship right then. And you don't really need to deliver on it yet. Ideally, you would. You need to do something that makes them realize, okay, we're here. We're looking forward to seeing you. We'll be in touch with you as we get closer to the event. Because that's reality. Because most people don't start thinking about going to the event until about 60 days prior. There's tons of research out on that. And it you know, we have a conference in February next year that'll be affected by the holidays. So it's going to be interesting to see when they actually are thinking about it. Will they think about it at all in the month of December? I don't know. We're going to try, but it may be that we have two starts, but it starts before. And ideally you're going to pull them into some kind of community forum. We use Facebook groups. You could use a third party app like a mighty networks or circle or Eugenie or one of those. You could create your own. Um, you could use a LinkedIn group. I don't have as good of experience using LinkedIn because uh, those are a lot harder to control the spam in them. You have to have moder moder moderators who are managing that no matter where you do it. So yeah, I think start with a place where people can come and start connecting, create opportunities. You can even do online events. Like we all got tired of Zoom, but there's a place for Zoom. Zoom can be a great way to do some pre-event networking where you facilitate an opportunity for people to meet a few people, give them a few tips about the event. If, if people show up to your event and they've already got on their calendar a couple of appointments with people they met online that they're excited to meet, they're, they're, now they've got a reason to be there. You know, dinner of the first night. They're going to meet for breakfast before the first morning's session. There's this meetup that's happening for B2B marketers or a meetup that's happening for educational marketers or whatever the case might be. All of a sudden, okay, I've got some plans. I not only know which sessions I want to go to, I've got some people I can't wait to meet. Yes, I want to meet these speakers, but I know that's aspirational and I might get two minutes with them. But Ian's going to be there and he's like me. And we're going to go out for drinks after that first night. And we've already made plans. We're going to go, you know, we're going to go get fish tacos on Tuesday night because Tuesday night's fish taco night in San Diego. So, you know, we're all over it. So those, those types of things are starting to happen and you're having conversations with people. You're discovering people that are like you. Now, if you're in sales, certainly you can be setting up sales calls, but 
like at our conference, most people are not in sales. They're marketers. They just want to find people like themselves that they can ask questions of and find some, you know, some comfort in other people who are struggling with this silly algorithm on social media that Facebook keeps changing or Meta keeps changing or, you know, Musk keeps changing Twitter, whatever they want to talk about. Like they want to commiserate, but they also want to say, what's working for you? Yeah. You know, what have you been trying? What, where have you found success recently and start bouncing ideas off? So if those relationships start in advance and there's a lot of ways we do it, then it makes it easier on site. But here's the truth. Probably 50% or more of people will not have taken advantage of any of that stuff that you do. That's yeah. They're just, they're ignoring it. They might come in and join that group. Like I looked and we had maybe 70% of our people had joined the group but if I would have looked back in March, I, my guess would be maybe 30 or 40% would have actually been active in that group. So a lot of people aren't actively pursuing that because they're busy. You know, let's be honest. They're busy. They don't think, some people don't think about the event till they get on the plane. So then the next thing you do is have people whose job is to look around and start conversations. So they meet you, Ian, and they find out about you, you know, a little bit about your background, what you do. And you would ask you a question like, hey, what kind of people would you love to meet while you're here this week? And when you give an answer, they say, you know what? I just met Sally over here. She said the same thing. Do you mind if I introduce you? And then I've introduced you to Sally and I wait to see if there's a connection, you know, as you guys are talking. And then I back away. And I've got people whose job is doing that all day long. They love doing it. They thrive on doing it. And they're out there. They're just trying to be that. I call it yeast in the book. They're trying to be the yeast that's connecting the flour together to make the dough. And when that happens, there's something that happens that's extraordinary where the, the connectors no longer have to connect because all of a sudden Ian, who's also a connector, realizes, oh, this is a safe place. And I can meet, introduce Sally to someone else that I met later on. And so people get activated and they start doing it. And then the, the culture starts to change pretty profoundly. So that those are some of the things that I do. There's a lot of other things with communication, you know, sending emails and using different kinds of posts and getting, getting the conversation started is a whole art, you know, because a Facebook group without intentional cultivation will just be another place. But if you can get the right conversations going, it eventually takes on a life of its own. After I've found after a few weeks, uh, moderating it that I don't have to moderate it anymore because the community is taking care of it. Community is starting conversations. They're making their plans. They're, they're letting me know, Hey, this person's being really spammy. Can you get rid of their stuff or watch what they're doing? So I don't know if that's, if you want to pursue any of that, or if that's giving you enough, enough insights there. No, that's, that's great insight because I think so many people are thinking about just filling seats right? And getting as many people in and that's it. But that, that kind of stuff fills the seats now and in the future, doesn't it? Oh yeah. I think it improves retention because now you've got a community. You know, people say at our event, about our event that it's like a family reunion in the best sense of the word or summer camp. They say it's summer camp or family camp for marketers. And, you know, obviously there's bad summer camps and bad family reunions, but in the best sense of the word, they love it because they look forward to seeing all their friends. So it's hard for them to want to miss. Now, to your point earlier, I have found since 20, 
20 that people are asking different questions on, is this the event for me still? You know, I want to see my friends, but they're making, you know, having to make hard choices, like what event really supports me. So that's to all of us who plan events, we have to make sure we know who we're for and that we know what that audience wants and that we're serving that to them and be okay with the fact that some people are going to say, you know what, this event's not for me anymore. Yeah. And there's new people that need to come. That's an okay thing if they're conscious about it, but if you've missed them unintentionally, that's a whole different thing. And how are you, how are you deciding who like these big changes that have happened? How are you deciding which ones you need to go after, which people you need to go after as things have shifted? What's that criteria for you? Well, it starts with data. You know, what are people telling us? We survey our audience. We're constantly monitoring what they're listening to, what they're reading and what they're watching. So we're a media company. So we're sending out articles. We're sending out podcasts. We're sending out videos every week. And then we do a couple of surveys every year. So we're monitoring what people are saying. And when we ask questions, we're, we're actually curating that and saying, let us know if you're a customer of social media marketing world, for example. So we know what that audience is telling us and if it's any different from our main audience. So we're watching those trends, but we're also watching macro trends outside of us. You know, what are the big platforms saying? What are we seeing in press outside of our own press? Because we don't want to be myopic and just look at the way we look at things. So that's helping us understand the content. You know, what content should we have? What topics do people actually care about? And, you know, People have said to us, you're not talking about topic X anymore. And our response is, well, our audience has told us they're not that interested. So we're not talking about it, not because we don't care, but you've told us and you collectively have told us that you don't care about that as much as you care about something else. It's not that people don't care, but the level of care, because we've got to do something that people are going to pay money to show up and learn about. For sure. Yeah, and I've seen that too. There's definitely some, comp- and that's a tough one too because it, as your audience switches, you're gonna turn off some of the old audience that might have came for something else. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a maturing process that happens, and people who've been doing whatever, and let's do, don't just talk about marketing, but whatever industry you're in, when you're five or ten years into your career, your learning interests are different than they are when you're first starting out. Now, we're we're not for the beginner. We know that we were when we first started 10 years ago, but now we know we're for the intermediate to advanced marketer, but advanced marketers are very different from each other. You know, think about someone who 40 hours a week for five years has been doing Facebook ads. Let's just say, well, they're, they're an expert. You know, you've been doing it for five years, 22,000 hours a year. That's your 10,000, 10,000 hours. You're an expert. You probably could be teaching some aspect of it. So for you, the things that you want to learn are different than the person who maybe is in their first or second year on that journey. Now, the truth is what worked for you in years one through three and even four isn't working anymore. So you're still wanting to know what's working today. You know, so you're, but the way that you're perceiving that information is very different than someone who's just trying to figure out how to Facebook ads work in the first place. Or, you know, you're still trying to figure out how to create an audience or custom audience or whatever it might be. And when you're, as your audience evolved, how did your experience design evolve? 
Like, how was it just content? Or because obviously you have now existing communities, are you trying to figure out how to bring people into those existing communities, create new communities within your market? How did that all change? That's a great question. We've evolved in our, in terms of our own understanding of experience design, right along with you know the industry. So, Social Media Examiner started in two thousand nine. You could say that the social media marketing industry was still pretty new at that point in time. We created the very first industry survey and we still host that every year. So I'd say like our first year of the conference, we didn't know what we were doing. You know, I, I've been doing experience design for most of my life, but I didn't call it that. I didn't know to call it that. It's only as I started working on this book that I realized that's my secret sauce. <laughs> so I'd say in terms of like creating communities for different audiences, we're trying to create a community for the audience that we have. You know, we're not off in the business of creating dozens of different communities. We do create micro communities within the macro at the conference. So that's a paying attention to what people say they're interested in. Like we ask questions in our surveys. We send out surveys just to attendees. We ask questions in the Facebook group, trying to understand what people care about. And then we, we watch what they say, and then we create based around what they say. And I, I, frankly, I look for leaders. I look for people who say, who clearly have leadership ability or have been with us for a while and say, Hey, would you lead that community for that group of people? That's a lot like you, because it works way better if there's a leader. That's great. And that's fantastic because I think you find that leader and you identify them. And we've been talking a lot about super fans or super users. Those are the people that you enable and really helps to grow your, your event. Doesn't it? does yeah and so these are all great tips now and inside the book i'm sure there's a lot more of that information when what do you talk about all in the book is it's coming out soon i'm sorry i haven't got to read it yet but one of the things that because there's so much that you can do in event and as i was launching the book there's so much so many things i know to do to market a book what do you feel that people spend too much time when they're designing an event on that really isn't as necessary as they think? I don't think there's a one size fits all answer to that question. Okay. I don't, but I think what is not studied enough is who is the customer and then what does their journey look like? So if you don't have a good definition and it's probably a couple of avatars, you probably don't have one unless you're a fairly small event but getting to know who that customer is, what, what do they get passionate about? What are their pain points? Why are they coming? What is the, what does the journey look like before they get there? Um, and then what's that journey going to look like as they arrive? So, you know, if you know that you've got an audience that 75% has been to your event before, that's very different than if it's 75% have never been before. If you know your audience is, primarily a woman that's in her 30s or 40s, that's going to be very different than if it's a 20-something man who's an internet marketer. You know, the 30 to 40-year-old woman who works for somebody else's business is going to have a different interest than that 20-year-old internet marketer who's already made his first million. So if you know who the audience is and what they've been experiencing before they arrive, I find most event planners don't spend enough time getting to know 
who that is and what that's going to be like. Cause then when you start looking at what's their experience going to be like, as they walk through the different phases of your event, now you've got a person in mind and a group of people in mind. And you're saying, well, what's she thinking right now? What's she feeling right now? And you're able to start anticipating how things are going to affect her or affect him. And so you're saying, well, that might affect him this way, but most of our people are more like her. So we're okay with that. And then you're able to say, you know what? Research says 20% of people in America today have some kind of neurodivergent issue going on. What are we doing for them? How are they going to respond to the flashbang that we've got planned for that, you know, that closing keynote? We do have a plan for that. So those are the kinds of things that I don't think people spend enough time thinking about. And I personally have made mistakes. We did end with an indoor fireworks show at one of our keynotes four years ago. And it wasn't like real fireworks because they wouldn't let us do that with the fire marshal. So it was on the screen, but the sound system let off the big booms and crashes. And then I brought in a hundred confetti guns and we shot off confetti guns all over the room, high into the air. And it made spectacular video, but it also tripped up people with PTSD. People who are been watching the news and seeing the guns go off in churches and, and shopping malls. They were like tripped by that. And it wasn't very many, but they did come to us afterwards and say, you know, I wish I would have known. And so we learned a lesson. Hey, say up front, there's going to be loud noises. And if that bothers you, you might want to sit toward the back of the room because we don't want to give away the surprise, but we also didn't want to put them in a place where they're going to be, you know, tripped up by something that we're choosing to do. So I'd say the thing it, you know, if there's one thing that people don't do enough of, it's thinking about who is that customer and what does their journey look like through the whole event. And maybe, maybe the other big mistake is we plan the event for ourselves instead of for our customer. Like that's a big mistake I've made in the early years. You heard me play jazz sax as we started here in the early years, I would start off our event playing with a jazz band and we would have jazz music going while people walk in and you know, it was great in my opinion, because it was background music. It was quiet enough that people could have conversations. And that's what I wanted. I wanted people talking to each other, not sitting down and listening to a concert. Well, after a few years, people started to say, you know what? That music's awesome, but it's kind of subdued and it's not really my music. That's what I listen to on a romantic date with my spouse, but it's not really what I'm looking for here. And after a while, I, I died to myself and said, you know what? I need to pay attention to who they are. And when I said it's a 40 year old woman who's, you know, got kids and works for somebody else's business. then I realized, Oh, she's probably not listening to jazz much at all. She probably listens to pop or country. So we changed the, the songs and it changed the event. Yeah. That's amazing. And uh, you know what you, you say that because that's what we do is like customer stories. And to your point, it's amazing to me how little time people spend they spend so much time on demographics and so little time about that one person. And it makes the, all those decisions so much easier, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Yeah. And if you can get to know someone in your audience that represents that and not just a fictitious avatar, but it's like, Oh, I'm planning for, you know, this particular woman that I know, Tammy and I know Tammy and I know what she's going through. What would she like? And I can ask her and I can get a focus group of people like Tammy say, you know what? If I can pr create a collective picture with their help, far better. That's great. That's amazing. 
And so tell us a little bit more about the book and who needs to read it and what are, how should we read it? (laughs) The book is for anybody that designs experiences. I originally wrote it for people who are designing events, but as we talked about pre-show, I'm finding that network marketers are resonating with it. I'm finding that hotels and museums are resonating with it. So anyone who's creating experiences will find value, but if you're designing events, that's going to be the best person, especially if it's a content-based event. It's, it's really for you, whether it's a one-day event, two-day event, three-day event. If you're the event owner, if you're the event planner, it's going to be for you. Awesome. Awesome. So obviously, put a link to the book. It's also on philmarchand.com, P-H-I-L-M-E-R-S-H-O-N. The book is Unforgettable, The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experience. Filth and all of his social media is in there. And of course, you can also get it. I'm sure you can still get tickets if you, this is in September and you're watching this to their events. We'll put a link to Social Media Marketing World in this as well. But Phil, thank you so much for being on the Garlic Marketing Show. It's been my pleasure, Ian. Thanks for having me. All right. And thank you for all for taking Phil and I on your journey. It's been on Garlic and the Garlic Marketing Show. Video. You know it'll make you an authority. You know it will get you more leads, better leads that close faster and spend more with you. And video stories will help you be remembered and connect with those perfect clients. The problem is, where do you start? Storycruise.com is the place to go. It's like a film crew with an S. What's your strategy? Do you do it yourself? Do you hire a videographer, an agency? Do you need an editor? How do you know if they really know your business and how to make videos for business that work? The answer to all of this and more can be found at storycruise.com. It is the place to find the latest video marketing strategies, the best gear for your business, as well as videographers, editors, and agencies near you that are trained in video storytelling for business. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get special insider info for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show, including special access to several of my courses, including my case story course. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get a whole bunch of special offers just for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show. Whether you're looking for a videographer or to do it yourself, go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get started today. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook. 